Well, happy Thanksgiving week, church. Uh, we're so uh, thankful that you're here and you've joined us. And since this is Thanksgiving week, next week, we're going to start our Advent series. We really just wanted to focus and emphasize um, giving thanks. And what I'm thankful for uh, this week is, hey, I got a new leather-bound Bible at uh, Logos Bookstore. And funny thing is, you know, I've been talking about desiring God's Word and hungering and thirsting after God's Word. And uh, we had a late council meeting the, earlier this week, and I had leftover Subway sandwiches, Subway sandwich, and I accidentally left my Subway uh, Italian BMT sandwich in my backpack, which is right next to my Bible. And so right now, my backpack and my Bible smells like vinegar and red vinegar and oil, and it smells like Italian BMT. So whenever I smell this, I could hunger and drool over God's Word. So anyways, hey, this morning, would you open your Bibles, actually, to John chapter 15, and we're going to conclude our mini-series on Abide. Uh, abiding in Jesus because Jesus is the true vine and the Father is the vine dresser or God the Father is the gardener. So <clears throat> we're going to focus on just uh, these next two verses and verses 9 through 10. John 15 verses 9 through 10. It says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be in full. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. and. My heart is that we don't have to wait till Thanksgiving for us to be grateful and thankful. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we have life eternal with you when we breathe our last breath here on earth. But Lord, right now, we have everlasting, we have abundant life, a life full of joy in you through you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, because even if you never answer another prayer of ours, even if you never heal another sickness, even if you never bless us with another blessing, we are forever grateful because of you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. We welcome it as truth. We abide in you this morning. We dwell, we remain, we connect. We make our home in you. We relax in you, oh Jesus. And um, as we do that, would you uh, reveal and would you open our eyes, Lord, um, that we would see wonderful things from your law and that we'd be transformed and we'd be changed. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, so our text this morning, uh, the main command or the main imperative that Jesus wants us to walk away with, in verse 9, it says that we are to abide in His love. Uh, 
abiding in the love of Jesus. And that is the title of my message today, is Abiding in God's Love. Now, uh, twice here it says, Abide in my love, in verse 9. And verse 10 says, Hey, just as, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abided in His love, all right, and I want you guys to abide in my love, abide in the Father's love. So continue to remain in love. And remember, just by way of summary, uh, two weeks ago we talked about pruning, right? And the importance of the reward of being with Jesus is that He prunes and He cuts areas in our lives so that more fruit will bear. Last week we talked about um, loving obedience to God's Word. And we talked about the theology of this word abide in the Gospel of John. And we talked about abiding in the Old Testament. And today, really, I want us to go through uh, what does that look like? Right here, right now, what is the rhythm? Sunday, November 20th, what does it look like for me to abide in Jesus? And what are the rhythms? and the practices of abiding in Jesus. So today it will be very practical and very pragmatic, and I'll give you guys a tool, and we're going to look through the life of Jesus and how He abided in the Father's love. And from the life of Jesus abiding in the Father's love, we will follow Jesus in His example, and we will walk and abide in God's love. And here's the main point that Here's the big takeaway for us. Would you write this in? It'll be on the screen. It says, abiding in God's love often means withdrawing, withdrawing to Him in prayer. Let me say that again. Abiding in God's love, it often means that we're to withdraw from this world, withdraw from our schedule, and withdraw to Him. And the way we do that is through Prayer. Oftentimes, you'll see peppered all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It would often say that Jesus would go to the desolate place to pray. He would go, he would withdraw, he would go to the mountainside and go to a desolate place to pray. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you know, that when you're to pray, you're to pray uh, in private. You go, to a, um, you go to your closet, close the door behind you, and you pray in private. And in Luke chapter 5, we see here uh, Jesus' MO, right? This is how Jesus rolled. This is how Jesus likes, this is the rhythm of abiding and what that looks like. Look at in Matthew chapter, Luke chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Now this word often withdrew, it communicates and expresses that this is not a one-time deal, that this is not a punctiliar one-time event, but this was an ongoing abiding in Jesus that often, many times, he withdrew, he disengaged from this world in order to engage with his Father in prayer. 
See, the Jesus here, it says uh, earlier that news about Jesus spread more and more. So life got a lot busier. Things got a lot more hectic. His calendar started filling up. His to-do list started piling up. But when the pressure was up and when, the, when life got busy and the season was full, Jesus often, all the time, he made a rhythm of withdrawing and withdrawing so that he could pray to Jesus, pray to the Father. Look at, if you look at his life, there's this rhythm of abiding and engaging and withdrawing. That Jesus abided in the Father's love by withdrawing and engaging in the Father's presence. And this was the ministry paradigm which Jesus engaged in kingdom mission. Like for us, like for me especially, man, we strike the iron while it's hot, right? We keep beating that drum until, until it keeps going. Like we're going to uh, beat a dead horse until it goes, right? And, and uh, Jesus continued to heal people and, and demons were being cast and news started spreading about him. But as these things grows up, Jesus, what? He abided, he paused, he withdrew from expectations, he withdrew from demands, he withdrew from tasks so that he could be alone, so that he could be in silence and solitude and be with the Father. There were families with infirmities, there were dads with leprosy, there were moms um, that were sick. There were daughters that were dying. But Jesus, he withdrew and he abided so that he could pray. You see, Jesus didn't see every need that was presented to him as the Father's will. So he rested. Jesus learned how to say no to good things in order to abide and be with the great things, the things that are of portion and weight, just like Mary. And this is how Jesus was able to abide. He withdrew and he prayed. He rested while others worked and he worked while others rested. And this is the paradigm of engage and withdraw. See, Jesus didn't wait around till Sabbath to rest. He didn't, um, you know, white knuckle it and just hunker down and man up and just work until Sabbath. He's like, no, no, he needed to withdraw in order to pray. And I have three areas and three purposes and how we could abide just like Jesus and withdrawing and praying. The first is this, that Jesus abidingly withdrew for clarity of God's will. Jesus withdrew so that he would have clarity and resolve of the will of God, the Father's will for his life. Uh, very early on in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed or he withdrew and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. 
after he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. Why? For that is way, why I came out. This is my mission. This is my purpose. I have I withdrew from the pressure. I withdrew from expectations. I withdrew from um, appointments, good things like healing people so that I could fulfill my mission. See, this is Mark chapter one. We got to remember that Mark uh, is the earliest gospel that uh, many scholars believe is written first. And early in Jesus' ministry, um, his fame started blowing up. So for 30 plus years, Jesus lived a pretty obscure life. There's very little um, uh, narrative or events that, G that occurred when Jesus uh, before 30. But after 30, uh, Jesus, as, as, as soon as he began his public ministry, his popularity just blew up. He started going viral. In verse 28, in Mark 28, it says, that at one time his fame spread everywhere all throughout the region of Galilee. See, before this, in verses 30 to 31, Jesus goes into uh, Simon Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he heals her. And after healing her, it says that all the sick, not most, not some, not few, but he goes, all those who were sick in the town, they showed up. And so Jesus heals and he prays, right? And the whole town of those who were sick, they came and Jesus spent the whole night. Not only did he heal, but he casted out demons. If you've ever been to the hospital, uh, no matter how, which hospital you go, there's many floors and there's many rooms and there are many who are sick. Even if you go to Straub, right, local urgent care, there's a lot of people there. And if you could imagine Jesus, they brought all the town of the surrounding area of Galilee and they brought it to Jesus. And Jesus spent the whole night, hours and hours. He burned the midnight oil and he was so tired. And he did a lot of good. But it says in Mark 135, very early in the morning, maybe three, four, five in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus abided in the Father. He withdrew. He disengaged from his obligations and his responsibilities, and he abided in the Father. See, there were a lot of good things happening but Jesus, he could have been the local hero. He could have been the little spectacle, the little miracle worker, the town. Hey, come to Jesus. There's a spectacle of what's happening. People are getting, demons are getting cast out, right? The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Ooh. And Jesus could have stayed there and it's like, yeah, I'm getting popular. Oh, look at me. I'm bearing fruit in my life. But Jesus, he got up, he withdrew, and he prayed for clarity of God's will. And God told him, you know what? You're not here to be a little miracle worker. You're not here to fulfill people's expectations. You're here to preach the kingdom of God. So you got to go to the next town. 
And do you see the clarity that happens to the will of God when we abide in Him? What is this series about? This series is about abide. We are to abide in Jesus so that what? We would bear fruit. The reward of being close to Jesus is that He would what? Prune. That He would cut areas in our lives so that lasting, more fruit, much fruit, Jesus says, would, would bear in our lives. And listen to me very carefully. We need to learn how to say no, even to good things, for the sake of the best. You've heard it say, right? You've heard it said before, right? That good is the enemy of best. And you might have little twinklings, little seedlings of fruit in your life, and they might be good things, but God wants to bear in you lasting fruit. God wants to do things in your life that would have depth and substance and things that would have consequence. God doesn't want temporal fruit. He wants long-lasting fruit. So we need to learn how to say no, and we need to prune areas in our lives so that we could abide in Jesus. We need to learn how to say no to uh, another work party or we you know we need to learn how to say no to a reunion so that we can go to a date night with our wife with our wives we need to learn how to say no to another baseball game another soccer game another rowing game another um, uh, another event so that we can attend church as a family we need to say no to overtime and extra income, to extra money, an extra side hustle. We need to learn how to say no, just like Jesus, to good things so that we could spend time with our kids. See, this is what it means to abide. When we are daily, when we often withdraw, we get downloads from the Lord. We get clarity of what's really important and God wants to work in us and we learn to prune and we get clarity of God's will. Romans chapter 12 says that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice so that we could approve of what His will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So just like Jesus, we need to abide so we can get clarity of God's will upon our lives. Secondly, if you look at Luke chapter 6, one of those days, Jesus went out, there it is, he withdrew <clears throat> to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. So before Jesus chose the 12, he first withdrew he went to a mountainside to a desolate pl place and he prayed he abided before he made an important decision he abided so you can get clarity of God's will before I made the decision to um, propose to Renee uh, I went with my trusty dog 
And where I went to Big Bear, California. This is when we used to live in California. So around 2002, I went to California uh, to Big Bear, and I went to a mountain. I brought five gallons of, of water, and I brought my journal and my Bible, and I prayed, and I fasted for two days. And the third day, I was able to, I ate, but I, I abided in the Father. It's like, Lord, is Renee, is she the one? I need clarity of your will. I need this you know, choosing your spouse is the second most important decision that you will ever make in your life. The first is following Jesus. I mean, it was tough because, you know, she's not Filipina, right? And I'm Filipino. And the church that I was at, it was at a Filipino church. You know, I had one of the church council members tell me, Oi, uh, John, John, come here. Uh, we, the council, have met and we have decided that, you know, maybe you should go to the Philippines spend one year in the Philippines, learn some Tagalog, so you'll really properly how to speak Tagalog, and when you come back, then you can pastor this church. But I really liked Renee. I loved her at this point. And am I gonna have the fruit, the good thing of being a senior pastor and taking over a church, an established church, or am I gonna follow the Lord's will for my life? Because the church can always find another pastor, but I can't find another wife. And Lord, I need the clarity of your will that she is the one. That no matter what happens from here on out, I could always go back to this point that the Lord spoke to me, just like Jesus. He said, right before he chose the 12, he abided right before he went on to the next town and said no and pruned to good things, things that happen life, that bring life so that he could abide in the Father. And, you know, it's uh, been 17 years that we've been married and I'm so glad that I did. And my life is so much happier and so much, and so much fulfillment and joy and Judah, Noah, and Ezra, and, and uh, all this is because of abiding in Jesus. Number two is Jesus abidingly withdrew to feel. Jesus abidingly withdrew to feel. Okay? In Matthew chapter 14, verse 10, he, meaning Herod, um, he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Okay, you guys catch that? Jesus' cousin, first cousin, John the Baptist, that was beheaded. They go tell Jesus. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Uh, just to give you context, uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he rebuked King Herod because King Herod was, uh, he divorced his own wife and he married his niece, Herodias. 
who had been his brother's Philip's wife. And so John the Baptist, he was the first one that leaped in, her, uh, in his mom's womb. He leaped with joy when he found out that Jesus was, was about to be born. This, Je this very same John the Baptist who had baptized Jesus, who had paved the way for Jesus, Jesus' um, cousin, and uh, he, when he was beheaded, it's something so senseless, right? Something so nonsensical. The Herodias' daughter danced and, and he said Herodias was going through the mom. Herodias' daughter's like, oh, what should I get? He's like, oh, I want, because Herodias... Herod's wife was embarrassed and said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And a man of God beheaded at the cowardice of Herod because he promised everybody whatever, she, whatever baby girl wants, she'll get. Because of the pettiness of Herodias, she wanted revenge. Or because of the petulance of Herodias' daughter, doing this dance and getting attention. And this man of God who paved the way for Jesus, who baptized Jesus, he was beheaded. And when Jesus heard that he was beheaded, what did Jesus do? He went to a desolate place. He withdrew himself. He went on a boat and he went by himself. It doesn't say to pray. It doesn't say to commune. It doesn't say in silence, but I think Jesus went there to feel. If you've been in church long enough, there seems to be this unspoken rule of faith versus feeling. It's as if faith and feelings cannot exist. It's as if, you know, faith, you know, he, he is greater than I. Faith is greater than feelings. But may I remind you that faith and feelings are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually incompatible. That faith and feelings, they could coexist. Jesus, God in the flesh, he experienced a wide range of emotions. He felt feelings over his 33 years here on earth. Scripture tells us that he felt, that he experienced during his public ministry. And we might think, oh, you're just being emotional or being unemotional means that you're more spiritual or um, you're less spiritual. But feelings, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Feelings are part of who God made you to be in his image. And Jesus, he experienced all throughout the New Testament, in the Gospels, a plethora and the whole gamut of feelings. He experienced, he felt joy at pleasing his Father. You know, in our text, John 15, these things I have said to you so that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be made full. See, Jesus had joy at abiding in the Father. Jesus experienced anger 
at the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He called them you snakes in Matthew 23. Jesus felt disgust at greed and racism and oppression of the poor. Jesus felt sorrow at the ravages of sin and death. He felt he wept over Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. He wept at the news of Lazarus' death. Jesus felt compassion for the lost, for the downtrodden. Remember, splagnizomai uh, is the Greek word that he empathized with those who were harassed and helpless, thrown down like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt compassion. Jesus felt frustration at people's lack of faith or their slow learning. He tells the disciples, how long have I been with you and still yet you don't know who, what my mission is about. Jesus felt agony at the impending suffering of the cross, that he had sweat of blood dripping down, agonizing in the garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus felt his feelings. And when he heard about John the Baptist, he withdrew so that he felt. Now, uh, during my own sabbatical, uh, you know, I flew to California to celebrate my dad's 80th birthday, and I, I believe it was uh, 50 years in ministry, or yeah, 60 years in ministry, but 80th birthday, and he's like, you know, this could be my last one, and this is kind of like my last hurrah, and that, that, that sobering thought of end of life, and a life that lived well, and the beginning of an end of life, just kind of, okay, you know, I flew there, I saw it, I'm like, all right. And then after that, um, uh, within two weeks later, uh, I was called to uh, officiate a funeral and a burial for a former uh, church member. Earlier, April this year, I got a text from a daughter-in-law. I said, hey, um, Auntie B has passed away. And before that, uh, April, she texted and she calls like, hey, Pastor John, I'm not going to stay, I'm not going to live too long. Do you think you could, uh, I want you to do my funeral. And so during my sabbatical, I had a, I had a funeral to go to. And then uh, a week after that, uh, I got a call from one of our church members and said, oh, my dad is passing. Do you think you could come and, and be a part? Um, and so I visited Uncle Palmikami over four times in about two weeks. And um, Uncle Paul was, had a stroke and had three strokes in about two weeks. And he had a heart attack and he had amputated um, legs, both legs because of diabetes and he was suffering and he wasn't responding. And so they waited for me to arrive at the hospital bed. And, um, and that's when the machines were turned off and I was there for the very last breath um, and I went through that, I preached a funeral, thinking about my own dad, thinking about my own mortality. And during my sabbatical, you know, I didn't withdraw to process. I couldn't metabolize and I, I didn't feel my feelings. So I think very, that very same day after the funeral, where I did a graveside um, burial, uh, I was like, hey, Noah, I just needed to kind of 
exercise. Hey, Noah, you want to go on a run with me? And he goes, ah, no, it's all right. I'm, I'm just going to play my video games. I'm like, I was like, you know what, Noah, I'm going to die soon. And I hope that when I, you see me on my casket and you see me on my grave, that you, you, I hope you regret spending more time in video games than spending time with your dad. You know, and then uh, Ezra has always been a mama's boy and I was putting him down to bed that night and I was like, oh, I want mom to put me down and I don't want to spend time. I was like, Ezra, you know, dad is going to die one day and I hope, you know, and I was kind of lashing out and I knew it was bad when the following day I drove Ezra to school and Ezra was just, uh, Lord, I pray for my dad and I asked that he has a good time when he goes to heaven because he's going to die. And, and uh, that's how it came about because I did not withdraw to feel my feelings. See, it's not faith over feelings. It's faith in feelings. And we bring our faith, we bring our feelings before God. It's like, Lord, I'm feeling depressed. Lord, I'm feeling angry. Lord, I'm feeling... Um, frustrated. Lord, I'm feeling angry. I feel betrayed. And you bring our feelings before the Lord and allow the Lord to minister and abide to Him. God is bigger than your emotions. God is bigger than your feelings. And He invites us to abide in Him. Let's go ahead and pray. So Father, we thank you, Lord, that through every stage of life, you are here with us. And so, Lord, we pray that we as your people, we would abide in you. We would remain close to you, Lord, that we would withdraw, we would disengage in order to spend time with you. So be with us, Lord, this Thanksgiving week. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Love you guys. Have an amazing week.